My dude, did you just unfollow me on the gram? I did. What's going on? Well, you just liked a post from an athlete who was sponsored by a shoe company whose president just bought a chocolate factory, and you know that one of the biggest things that the chocolate factories produce is palm oil, which is a crazy side effect which contributes to deforestation, which is one of the leading factors in climate change. So you are supporting bad climate change policies for the world. Alrighty then. So I'm indirectly responsible for global warming by liking this post you are actively responsible and you share responsibility with everyone else who's making it worse i'm directly responsible correct we really should talk about ways that christians can engage culture or be mindful of wisdom to be able to interact probably all right let's talk about some of that welcome everybody to kingdom thinking Today, we're going to dive into the topic of Christians and culture. So Josh, with this question, I'm not so much interested in individual preferences such as aesthetics, clothing, music, etc. Different individual preferences and choices that people make. I'm more so interested in asking the question, how should Christians engage in the values that shape a culture? and what should they hope to gain from it? Mm -hmm. So I want you to tell us a little bit about the background in a survey fashion about how Christianity actually began in its relationship to culture. Sure, so Christianity starts out as a branch of Judaism in the first century, which was at the time under the global domination of the Roman Empire. And the growth of Christianity in the ancient world is a particularly fascinating event sociologically speaking because it didn't come from like this major influence of power structures it wasn't something that was super popular with like pundits or people of influence or people that mattered it's it's quite literally a bottom up approach right it's an underground subculture movement that literally attracted people because of its distinct values okay. and it's not until emperor constantine uh, who sees christianity with favor where he implemented into the empire uh, and then the influence of the christian church in the western world is going to develop you know obviously at a rapid pace for that over the next 2000 years uh, and it plays a particular you know format in the way that america came to be today good 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 so what what i'd like to highlight for our viewers from that is the uniqueness of the way that christianity related to the empire sure it was this offshoot it was um these kind of weirdos on the side that yeah, yeah. were thinking about things very differently and treating people very differently their values and the way through which they interacted in society was very different right mm -hmm. so as that changes and christianity becomes a major major influence on the western world uh, that begins to change. Now, what's really interesting to me as it relates to what we want to talk about today is how some of that is beginning to change. Yep. How in some ways, right, I don't want to be over dramatic here, but in some ways, traditional Christian values are no longer the assumed foundation or starting point for which our society, particularly in American uh, politics and American social discourse, yeah. that's no longer necessarily the starting well, point. Well, and you can even go one step further and say that in a lot of ways, those kind of assumed traditional values are actually looked down upon, mm -hmm. right? They're they're interpreted as negative things and, and negative starting points as opposed to like yeah. positive corollaries good. that have existed. Good, good. In some ways, exactly. So without being overdramatic, right? Sure. There, there are instances in which we can say, oh yeah, like that's no longer assumed. Traditional yep. Christian values, values are no longer assumed. And so what we want to trace today for our viewers is two responses or two attitudes that Christians could adopt in engaging this developing phenomenon. So we want to use this analogy 
from the New Testament. And we're going to call attitude number one, the zealot attitude. Yeah. We're going to call attitude number two, the Qumran attitude. So tell me a little bit more uh, for our viewers what that means. What does that mean? Sure. So uh, the zealots were people who were very engaged uh, within Judaism and its relationship to the Roman Empire, right? Okay. So uh, you'll notice that actually Jesus, one of his 12 disciples, his name is Correct. Simon the Zealot. Yes, there right? was a zealot in there. And this was a... Uh, I mean, the Romans would have considered zealots terrorists, yes. right? Like they were domestic terrorists who tried to inflict damage and fear to try and cause revolution and revolt and make problems happen for the sake of trying to get the Jewish nation back into a state of independence, right? Great. So that's a quick summation, mm -hmm. right? A very simplistic view of what zealots yes. were. And then the Qumran community uh, is a people that were very separatist, right? It's probably mm -hmm. the easiest way to say this. They were people that lived in the desert. They were, uh, think of like a hermit, right? Mm -hmm. And this kind of idea, they were people that lived alone or away in a group uh, because they figured the uh, world was not a good place with whom to have a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Their job as religious, holy people was to separate themselves and be as distinct and unique as possible, uh, even at the expense of relationship with the world as yes. a whole. Nice, nice. That's awesome. So although this isn't a perfect analogy right. for what we're going to discuss, I do think that there is some weight and some correlation to two attitudes that we see not only in Christian scholarship, but also as it trickles down to Christian local churches, yeah, ministries, um, and <clears throat> even down to, you know, pop culture Christianity. Yeah. <clears throat> so the question that we really want to think about here and analyze is what are the benefits and some of the limitations of both of these attitudes towards engaging this new, I'm going to say new with reference to, I don't know, maybe the last five years, how charged our mm -hmm. context is, right? Where everything is almost dichotomized. Yeah. So you're yeah. either against me or you're for me. And with this charged uh, context that we're now in, um, we really want to think about one, how should Christians gain influence, if at all? And two, what should Christians hope to gain from yeah. that influence, right? So let's talk about first about our example here, uh, zealots, right? Okay. okay. So with this attitude, like you said, zealots in the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus were Jewish people, the sect of Jewish people who wanted to militarily, right, by force, overthrow the empire to return God's kingdom. Yep. Okay. So what I draw from that, some equivalence would be <clears throat> a Christian posture that not only views American history in a very optimistic light with reference to its Christian foundation, sure. but views Christianity then as the optimal point for society and for American politic and political discourse to return to. Yeah. In other words, I would sum this as Christians who want to make America Christian again. Sure. So let's talk about a little bit of the, the benefits. What are some of the pre-understandings? What are some of the assumptions? Um, and what are some of the limitations of that? Yeah, I think, uh, well, a couple of the ideas that we see from this is, you know, maybe there's an idea to talk about this in a way uh, as we see what it would look like to be positive about kind of the returning to an assumed understanding of like Judeo-Christian roots for for where it stands as for us as a nation, uh, it would be very easy to go back to this kind of way of thinking because it's what we dealt in, in at least in terms of our rhetoric, for a quite a long time, right? And okay. it would be it would be a discussion that would serve the current majority population in the country, right? Where it is 
overwhelmingly white, you know, like 60 plus percent of the population of the country still mm. being like that. So it would be something that would make the majority population comfortable for the short term, okay. right? It would be something that would tamper down some of the charged rhetoric in the current moment, not where we're going gotcha. right, in the next 10 or 15, 20 years in terms of population dynamic shift. Yeah, yeah. There, but for the immediate stuff, it would quell, Interesting. it could potentially quell some of the, <clears throat> so the discourse. You, so you see not only a kind of religious value correlation, but you also see like a demographic correlation yeah. relationship there. So tell me a little bit more about that. So I don't know how long this would last and I don't know how well this would solve the problems deeper beneath the surface, right? Okay. That you and I would probably agree both exist in our country as a whole, right? Yeah. But insofar as uh, putting a nice sheen on things or like a patina of sorts, right? The idea of being able to speak with a similar language out of some assumed uh, correlations of Christian Judeo-Christian values would give the ma overwhelming majority of people the same starting point okay. from which to do their dialoguing. And when you both agree on some foundational understanding, it's easier to kind of move and navigate back and forth. And because there's some common ground, it's a little bit easier to potentially give and take at times. Gotcha. So what are some things that come to your mind if I use this, this phrase, this slogan here, right? Like make America Christian again. What, what, what does that mean <sighs> uh, as far as you understand? God back in schools. Okay. Uh, so like prayer? Pledge of allegiance before every type of thing. Uh, flags and churches again. Mm. Uh, God bless America. In churches, like the song being sung on like national veteran July. holidays. Yeah. Right. So uh, Memorial Day. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Um, the idea of kind of more uh, traditional or stricter Christian values in the way that we view things like uh, marriage, right? Okay. So one man, one woman That's probably only, a big one. right? Uh, abortion's probably unions, a big yeah, one. Yeah, abortion's huge. So, uh, probably Second Amendment kind of conversations yes. and things around there. Yeah. Uh, and probably like very defined gender roles, right? Like okay. more specifically, you know, kind of moving like men do X, women do Y, and understanding those things and adhering to them in, in a little bit more of a stringent fashion. Okay. So you have kind of a colliding of sorts of religious values demographic values yeah. and then kind of like cultural values. Yeah. So I that, mean, that's it, fascinating in a very, like in a very simplified way, like a leave it to beaver kind of old show from like the 1950s where it's like mom is in the home and cooks all day while wearing pearls. And then dad comes home from work or whatever. And mom gives him like a pipe and slippers and dinner's ready. Like that kind of idea where yeah. it's like very simplistic, uh, in the way that it displays life for people. Interesting. Interesting. So I, I could see where you're coming from on that. I'm not sure if that's entirely, <clears throat> fair right right to, right it's a little caricature yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i freely admit that for to, sure to the perspective because so and and you know we've talked a lot about this um a lot of the circles that i'm in both with my church and a lot of the people that yeah that i hang out with are going to be a lot more conservative sure so some of the things i'm hearing from them i think comes out of one i think there's a level of honesty that's there in terms of an anxiety and a fear sure about what is it going to look like to be in a country that is maybe not even um, mostly influenced by Christianity, but when it becomes opposed to it. Sure. What is that going to look like? Yeah. Um, and so a little later on, we're going we're gonna to talk about some of those specific examples. Yeah. So I, I, what I want to do is be as charitable as possible in saying that I think the people who would adhere to this attitude of wanting to say, hey, like, no, we should be involved in gaining influence, whether it's in media, mm -hmm. whether it's in politics, uh, certainly in, in a presidential election, yep. right? Um, the desire to be involved, to gain influence at first hand, 
I want to say that I understand the the honesty and the the genuineness yeah. of people who want to say like no I want people to benefit from this if America is more Christian the most more people are going to benefit from this well sure and you and you have uh, I mean you have history to point to in some sense right mm-hmm. and the idea of the prosperity of America as a whole coming yeah. out of the last particularly the last hundred years right yeah. with the world wars uh, kind of decimating the rest of the world and kind of leaving an open room for the economy to grow here mm-hmm. like the idea of saying you know a lot of those undergirding principles were found on like the idea that your word was bonds, you followed Correct. through with your actions, right? Like the you didn't lie to people. Life. Yeah, all of those things were uh, standing up for the the underdog. Yeah, those things were very pertinent Good. to the idea of making our country what yeah. it was. Good uh, in some ways. So, having said that, what are some of the limitations uh, that you see? Yeah, I think so. probably one of the biggest ones I see is it tends to ignore what I consider a large reality and swath in American history. Okay, so what do you mean? Uh, by that? I mean America has been has struggled, I'll say, with profound racism throughout the totality of its history, not just, you know, the conversation of slavery, but you look at the way that uh, a lot of white groups came over and how they were treated in terms of, you know, Ben Franklin was pretty anti-German, anti-Italian. Right. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say, like, the original Italian migration. Yeah, uh, and so I say that to say, not to compare white and black kind of disenfranchisement at all, but more so to the conversation that America has always... hasn't always been easy. Well, America's always been afraid of change, and America has always chastised change Mm -hmm. in its rhetoric, because that's what human beings do. Humans don't like change, or disruption is probably a better way to say it. And so to simply kind of paint with the brush of saying like Christian values kind of undergirded things and stuff was a lot better. It makes me feel like there's a bit of a reminiscing for a time period that never really existed Interesting. Uh, because it seems to ignore, not intentionally, right? Like, I don't think it's a bad faith thing yeah. for, for the most part, Yeah. Uh, but I think it has a propensity to ignore what the reality of history is. And some of the like. undercurrents that were there all along. Oh, I mean, just not even undercurrents, just things that were out in the open, Yeah. There, right? And, and so it seems a little bit disingenuous of, of history itself to me. I, I see what you're saying. So it sounds like what you're saying is an attitude of engaging with the current climate that says, hey, if we could just enforce, or I don't know if that's a fair word. Get back to. If, yeah, if we could somehow begin to support or get back to traditional Christian values, then that would solve some of these issues. Yeah. It seems like a simplistic solution. Yeah, I mean, it just seems one that's not rooted in anything reality-based mm. to me, right? So it's like, we should always be pushing people to not lie. We should always be pushing for things that make it, you know, so abortion never even needs to happen, right? Like better economic conditions, better yeah. health conditions. All of those things are great. Yeah. They're, uh, but I don't know how trying to go like to traditional Christian values is going to only be the best way to solve those things because a lot of the times those things weren't really playing out in the historical format that people are kind of saying or to the level mm-hmm. of which people seem to be assuming, okay. right? So uh, the... I always want America to be more Christian, right? Because I think Jesus led by examples of love, inclusion, servant kindness. Leadership. Yeah, servant leadership, all those things. Those are all for great sure. things. Amazing. You're not saying they're bad. No, not not even remotely, right? Like if America was a Christian nation in the way that I define a Christian nation, right? Which is, of course, like it's my opinion. So, of course, I want that there, uh, which may not be the best opinion, by the way. There, so, uh, but I just don't always know where the person who's having this conversation is. It's kind of a nebulous definition yeah, that, that can really shift a lot. No, I think that, that's a really good point because... What kind of Christianity? Make yeah. make America more Christian. Well, yeah, yeah, but what kind? Yeah, we've got over three thousand different denominations yeah. that have sharp divisions yeah. over sanctity of life, or sharp divisions over how we should treat the wife or the husband in the home. Like mm-hmm. sharp division over how gender roles ought to be assumed or divided. Yeah. You know, whether gays can be married or not, or yeah. whatever. Right? right, and so it's like, like 
whose community, which interpretation no, are we talking that's about? That's fair. Yeah, that's really fair. So it, it's just my observation mm-hmm. that the people that I hear mostly saying, let's make America Christian again, are um, the people who have the most to lose in terms of social influence. Yeah, probably. So uh, as a Hispanic of, you know, first generation of, of immigrant parents in a majority immigrant church, mm-hmm. right? We don't have skin in the game in that sense. Yeah, yeah, right? for sure. For so sure. like we never had political influence, so we don't have anything to lose. So it's really interesting how that perspective would be different yeah. um, with people who look like me than perhaps yeah, maybe people who look people like me. Who yeah, look absolutely. Like you. Yeah, absolutely. So that's interesting. And I, I know that correlation is not always causation, right? right? right. I'm just saying that's, that's interesting um, how those two factors collide because yeah. making America christian again has very real consequences for political benefits mm-hmm. and influence and power that don't benefit everybody yeah yeah so maybe those are some of the limitations or benefit people disproportionately yeah there right yeah, yeah. and so yeah i mean and it's a big it's a big deal right because now you know especially in this recent election the hispanic vote was one of the most important votes to try and win like both donald trump and joe biden campaigned really heavily yeah. in hispanic areas and, and so as the dynamics are shifting away from kind of uh, ensconced white power thresholds, right? And I don't say that negatively or as a slam against white people. There, It's like there's some natural clamor that's going to inevitably arise out yeah. of that. And some people will do it from a place of like genuine concern. Yeah. And people will be, some people will just be less ingenu- or yeah. disingenuous, more disingenuous about how they approach it. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I want to say on this is the level of winsome or efficiency that, enforcing principles has right Mm -hmm. so you can think about when you were a teenager or maybe a lot of our viewers can relate when they were teenagers um there's this natural tendency to not want to do what you're told to do always right and so i wonder about the ministerial or efficiency of hey if we just put prayer back in schools and if we just started you know, saying Merry Christmas to everybody yeah. and, and, and refusing to say Happy Holidays, right, or like wh- right, right, right. whatever the case may be, right? Yeah. If we just made this back to the cultural norm, like would that even work? I mean, it doesn't work with most young Christians I know, <laughs> right? Right, and so and that's not a that's not a slam, no, or to be intentional, but there is a there there but genuinely think, seems to be what it's felt like a generational divide here correct. in a lot of these conversations. Correct, and so I wonder what's the theological cost? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. of that attitude, and how much do you lose? If you want to gain that. Yeah. I mean, you got to pick and choose your battles. Correct. Right. Uh, And it seems like this position has a potential pitfall to make many things a battle that don't necessarily need to be. Yeah. Right. And that can be a difficult position to find yourself on the wrong side of uh, because you can accidentally alienate people. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I want to reiterate that our intention is always to be as charitable and to view people who hold this position as honest. Yeah, of course. As honest as we can. Yeah. For sure. So this would be our analogy of of the zealot, right? Somebody who is overtly and intentionally saying we need to gain influence so that Mm -hmm. uh, we can confront this shifting culture with with that influence to regain it. And one, one more positive thing to say about it, right, is like, this makes sense from a very logical-minded position, from right? From a it's pragmatic like, position. Well, I mean, government's just the most big tool in right. our tool belt. Correct. There. So, of course, you want to wield some type of po- what you perceive to be as positive influence over it yeah. because you genuinely think it's going to help the most people. Yeah. There. And so 
people who hold and maintain this position aren't coming at it from like a manipulative power Correct. grab kind of Correct. way. They're, it's in the real interest of the other Correct. that they're trying to serve. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, they themselves identify this way. And so they think that this is the best way to love their neighbor. Correct. So, uh, so don't hear, it's not like a mad set of critiques just coming out of the gate Absolutely. at it. Like these are just different things that you could potentially fall into. Correct. Good, 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 good. So now as we talk about the second position, which would be our analogy, the Qumran approach, mm-hmm. right? It would be more of a separatist approach. So what, what are some of the tenets, uh, benefits, and limitations as you see them? Sure. So uh, these would be people who kind of think of themselves as being separated from larger society, right? So Christians who might uh, sit out on political elections or um, maybe to say this in kind of like more of a meme format, right? You'll see like, no matter who wins the presidency, Jesus is still king. Oh my goodness. Kind of thing, right? Like, <laughs> just like very much leading with that and kind of sitting there, right? Like yeah. not ever really moving off of that. Right. Right. Um, or make sure you love, you know, Jesus loves Trump voters too, or like Jesus loves <laughs> Biden, Biden voters, voters also, uh, you know, and just kind of living in that zone, never really kind of doing anything okay. else out of that. So are so, there any benefits to that? Probably, right? I mean, it makes it, you a lot easier to deal with at dinner parties, right, on some level. But in all seriousness, <laughs> like, the, the other side of that being, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't get caught in the mud as easily. And I think that yes. this is I think this is actually really underrated in this day and age because with how much mud slinging there goes yes. from all sides of the yes. conversation, to be able to be uh, in less entrenched yeah. in that there's is, something is winsome about thing. that yeah there is something winsome about yeah. that it, and, it's very attractive and you know what yeah. i'm gonna just be full honest with you here um for the last two elections i have by principle refused to vote and so i feel very attracted to some of the underlying assumptions or pre-understandings and i think part of it if if i if i would come up with a slogan for this mm-hmm. part it would be so on the on the one hand right you have the zealots who are saying we need to make america christian again so that we can love people, right? Yeah. The, these people would say, no, 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 we need to make Christianity weird again so that an America that is no longer Christian can actually see Christianity for what it is. Yeah. That, there's something really winsome about that to me, right? If I can just speak from my own personal yeah, perspective course. on that. And so not only have I re- refused to, to vote in, in that sense, from for my perspective, and I've had people on both sides who say, well, then you're just voting for the other, can- sure. other candidate, right? And I was sure. like, well, you can't have it both ways. Well, I mean, the good news is in California, at least, you can always vote your conscience because you always know it's going to go Democrat. You don't, like, <laughs> you don't it, even have to worry matter? about it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a very practical right. Right, way to live that out. However, I like to think that it's a principled decision sure. in where for— Well, to be fair, the founders put abstaining, right? You were allowed to abstain from voting, and so that's a legitimate third option to take mm-hmm. there. So for me— um, I have a reluctance to marry my principal convictions to one political vehicle. Yeah, of course. Because I find it an insufficient method to actually express those. Now, this, this is what I think is actually the most powerful argument coming out of this position is your Christianity is so much bigger than mm-hmm. a political party. Mm-hmm. Neither one can even encapsulate probably 50% of your theological convictions. So it feels weird it feels betra- like i'm betraying yeah them like wrong by almost. hitching my wagon yeah. to one of those see that's exactly right now i understand there's deficiencies with that like in a pragmatic yeah, sense right and there's going to be evangelical theologians out there who are going to say no like you're you're neglecting your moral duty to care for your neighbor or whatever right sure. like i get that however what what i want to highlight about this this concept and this principle is that the shifting culture of america becoming more post-christian and what i mean by post-christian is a society that desires 
to have integrity and moral values, but that no longer needs Christianity to do so. Right. Like what Europe's been for like mm-hmm. a few hundred years, right? Um, this position views that context as an opportunity rather than a threat. Yeah. And so I have two authors here that are going to exemplify this. On the one hand, I have Russell Moore, who wrote a book a few years ago, and it's called Onward. And the premise of this book by Russell Moore, now, just for our viewers out here, Russ, Russell Moore, um, he's a affiliate, he's a well-known evangelical leader affiliated with the Gospel Coalition, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's also affiliated with the, the Southern Baptist tradition, uh, has leadership position there as well. And so... You, you know, you have one of our own, if you will, sure. as far as evangelicalism goes, saying, guys, America, whether you like it or not, in the Bible Belt and certainly in the metropolitan the cities, cities, right, um, is becoming uh, post-Christian. Yeah. Like, people are still going to identify as Christian, but what they mean by that is not necessarily what you think it is in sense of, you know, traditional values. People mean a lot of different things by that. Now, rather than being frightened and running for the hills um, or picking up the sword, right, as a zealot, the imagery there for a zealot, you view this as an opportunity. You view this as a chance to have conversations with people. You view this as a chance to listen to people and say, hey, so talk to me about reproductive rights. What's your perspective on that? Or talk to me about something like uh, equality for all and Mm -hmm. what you mean by um, all love is, is same love. Like, help me understand what you mean by that and let's have a conversation about that. So rather than this disposition to be threatened and then likewise... Um, defensive and then go on the offensive, this opportunity to be able to um, learn from people and then express convictions in a way that might be foreign to them is actually missional. It's actually pastoral. It's actually ministerial. So he views it from a very optimistic light. Um, On the contrary, you have somebody like Rod Dreher. So he's an author, also an evangelical, he wrote a book called The Benedict Option. Now, The Benedict Option reads more like a warning. It reads more like um, more like a tombstone reading. Sure. Like, <laughs> this is what's going to happen to Christianity, and it's already going on. And so he talks about examples such as legislation that wants to enforce um, healthcare practices that would include things like abortion in public schools, and then including it for Christian schools. He talks about the possibilities of financial funding or what's called Title IV funds not being available to Christian schools if they don't comply. Mm-hmm. You know, really interestingly enough, uh, the school where, where I work at, at Biola University, actually was facing a case like this. Um, and so the, these kinds of things that Rod Dreher is uh, addressing lead him to think more pessimistically about the situation and taking an attitude of you guys, you better get ready because the church might need to go underground. Mm -hmm. You might not have media access. You're certainly not going to have political access for influence. So your influence is going to be your direct network. Right. Um, And so these are two interesting perspectives from two very educated people. Um, And I have a very recent example for you actually that I want to, kind of get your thoughts on the human rights campaign mm-hmm. okay and the human rights campaign is a group that since 1980s they've been an advocate group for lgbtq uh, rights and so they wrote a letter to president-elect joe biden and in this letter they're requesting um, that accreditation be taken away 
from all Christian institutions like schools, universities mm -hmm. that do not um, comply or do not accept some of these uh, equality views. Now, I, I know we've talked a little bit about this before, sure. and I know you you've said that you say, "Oh man," but like this is nothing new. Uh, you, this is kind of boogeyman-ish. This is this is not a real threat. But I got to tell you, for a lot of people, especially that you know are in my circles, like this is the kind of stuff that keeps them up at night. Sure. Yeah. I. So when I when I say it's not a real threat, I don't mean that it, in the sense that like it could never happen. I think it very well could happen. Okay. Um, but I don't know how that's supposed to change how we behave, mm, right? And this okay. is my this is my critique of okay. like this positional conversation as a whole. It's like when we read everything in the New Testament, Jesus lived a very specific life, consequences be damned, right? Mm. Paul lived a very specific life consequences be damned so did the first two or three hundred years of early christian martyrs huh. so did the disciples yeah. and, and so the ever shifting landscape of political whatever around us doesn't for me hmm. i would like to at least say in theory right yeah. like i've never been faced with that level of persecution so i don't know right there but for me in theory isn't going to alter how i live right hmm. and, and so christianity adapts it molds well, it finds crevices and corners to grow, it often flourishes under persecution yeah. type regimes or whatever, and always has. And so the dynamic of power shifting away from Christians on a political level, in my opinion, will probably be, be one of the best things that mm. ever happens to American Christianity if I'm putting all of my cards on the table. Yeah. And so the idea of taking away my funding or my whatever, it's like, I, I don't care. Like, if I have a specific position that I read in Scripture, I'm going to withhold to that position in Scripture, yeah. irrespective of what earthly consequences I endure from that. And so I don't have a reason to be afraid of whatever. So I don't think it's not a threat in the sense that it will never happen. I mm -hmm. do think it's very likely. I see what you're saying. There. But I just don't think it's something worth being up at night about because we already believe in the person who's already won everything so yeah. what's what's going to happen to me here that's more important or conversational like i and again yeah that's a very like hey i'm a cool guy view you know and so i freely admit <laughs> i freely admit that right like right. i'm totally uh, there on that but i would just encourage people it's like if you believe a guy came back from the dead and you stake your life on that then he'll probably take care of you in whatever you go through you, on an earthly situation, right. or if he chooses not to, then you get to go to heaven. Like what's, there's no downside for us in mm. this conversation right? There, that I'm seeing at yeah. least. So, yeah. so that's what I mean. It's, okay. not, it's not a combative approach. Like people need to stop whining. I don't think that's it by any stretch of the gotcha. imagination. Gotcha. Uh, I just don't think we have reason that's good. to be no, not I, optimistic I, I about the way we interact it with that the way. world. Right. So rather than being afraid for America not being, Christian again, we should be courageous for what America will be because it's what Christianity was. No, we should cheer for it. Yeah. We should like go try and get it yeah. there because that's it's good. like that's where we see it always flourishing yeah. is in, in these non-mixing mixing situations of politics and Christianity. I think that's a great way to summarize that. So what do you guys think? What position do you find most attractive? What are some of the limitations? Did we miss something there that you think would be really important for either what we're calling the zealot or the Qumran position? Leave us a comment and uh, tune in next time on Kingdom Thinking. Mm -hmm.